All right. Hello and welcome, nerds, to another episode of the Brains, Boobs, and Beer podcast. I am your host, Heather. Um, I'm going to apologize up front. I have a little bit of the sniffles, and actually my guest today does too, so hopefully we'll get through that without too much (laughs) interference from whatever germs or allergies are going on between the both of us. So, On this episode, I am very excited to introduce you to Trill, and she is someone that I actually met via my sister, who's in another episode. Um, So welcome, Trill, to the podcast, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm very excited to hear all about you since we're just meeting (laughs) for the first time. So if you want to kind of start off maybe um, childhood or early early adult leading into kind of your degree and how you got interested in the STEM world. Absolutely. So um, looking back a little ways, we moved a lot when I was young. Eventually, we settled in North Dakota where I attended high school and undergrad. So I claim that as my home state, if you will. I I have two degrees. One is a bachelor's degree in biology with a minor in chemistry, and I also have a PhD in cellular, molecular, and microbiology. Uh, So your degree was, you got your degree in North Dakota? Did I follow that correctly? Yes. So I got my bachelor's degree in biology at Minot State University in North Dakota, and I actually got my PhD in Tampa, Florida at the University of South Florida. Oh, wow. Okay, so you went from cold to to very warm and humid (laughs) for your degrees. Yes, very much so. (laughs) Awesome. And then, um, so how how long have you been working, um, or I guess how long has it been since you've started uh, wherever it is you're working now? So I currently run a lab for a dairy processing facility. I've been there for a little over a year, and I'm also the founder of Free to Feed, um, which has been in existence for a little over six months. Uh, Free to Feed creates science-based content for allergen-free breastfeeding and is developing products to empower parents through infant allergies. Oh, that's very interesting. So are you a mother yourself, and that's how you got interested in that aspect of like dairy? Yes. So I am a mother of two beautiful little girls and they both happen to have severe infant food sensitivities. Um, When my oldest was only three weeks old, we woke up to find her completely covered in a rash and she had several bloody diapers, one right after another. It was completely terrifying as a new mother. Oh my gosh. And we ended up- Oh my gosh. Yeah, we ended up admitted to the hospital, and the doctors essentially told me that my breast milk was killing my baby, um, which was terrifying and um, really shocking at the time. While while we were kind of navigating that space, I found that there wasn't a whole lot of content available for mothers to figure out what they should do when their child has severe uh, food sensitivities. And unfortunately, when children are that young, they can't be tested effectively to determine what it is they're allergic to. So the doctors suggested that we should go on to a hypoallergenic formula for my daughter. But unfortunately, what we found out later was that specific formula is about $50 a can, which as a grad student really isn't feasible when it can only last a few days. Um, 
So I started asking the questions, you know, can I make hypoallergenic breast milk then if you can make hypoallergenic formula? And the answer was a hesitant, yeah, you can, but it'll be hard because you have to cut out all of the top eight allergens and we recommend you also cut out oats and corn. So um, that leaves not a whole lot of leftover for the mother's diet. Uh, at that point, <clears throat> at that point, my husband and I needed to, decide it, needed to decide what we were going to do moving forward. And I really wanted to continue breastfeeding I didn't want to give up on that goal of mine, and I didn't want to give up on our breastfeeding journey. So I went on a completely allergen-free diet, and I breastfed her for a year. And I learned a lot along the way. After we were done breastfeeding, and I then later had my second daughter after I had finished my PhD, I was shocked to find that there still wasn't any information available for parents on this subject. So I decided to create Free to Feed which is built around empowering women and empowering parents to work through and navigate the space of allergen-free breastfeeding and try to determine how best to move forward as a family through infant food sensitivities because it can be incredibly terrifying and um, there just isn't the right information available. And unfortunately, the information that's given by a lot of medical professionals right now is that it takes up to two weeks for allergens to leave your breast milk, which just simply isn't true. Um, all of the research shows that it only takes two to eight hours to um, rid your milk of allergens. So I'm trying to kind of spread the word as to what the actual research shows and how mothers can you know, be empowered to continue breastfeeding and how to work through that system um, that's you know, kind of telling them you know, not necessarily a lie, but giving them misinformation that would therefore cause them to decide not to continue to breastfeed. Wow. I, I can't even imagine how terrifying that must have been. Um, and to, to be told, you know, basically you're, you're not helping your poor <laughs> newborn child um, get the sustenance they need. So that's, that's, incredible, though, that you've taken that scary experience and kind of turned it into something, um, and especially to help others. So this is this, um, this project or this business that you've started, is it something online, people can reach out to you to find out a little bit more? I think, I think that's a really important message that if, if, you know, the medical field and people in the medical field are saying, you know, it's a couple weeks, to actually clear allergens when in fact it's, you know, less than a day to do so. Um, what is the best way for people to learn more and reach out and learn or and connect with others? Like you said, network with others. Absolutely. So we have a website called BeFreeToFeed.com. So BeFreeToFeed.com where I post regular content about just the basic scientific information around allergen-free breastfeeding, about allergens, and about infant food sensitivities in general. So they can go there, and um, I'm constantly posting more information, and they can also join our subscription, which would inform them when new uh, content is available. In addition to that, we've kind of built this great um, environment on Instagram where I have, you know, hundreds of women who are sharing their stories and talking about their um, breastfeeding journey and how 
their children reacted to their breast milk and and what occurred from there on out and trying to really empower them if they're still in their journey to um, have the right information and be able to make sound decisions based on actual scientific research. So you can follow me on Instagram at free.to.feed. Okay, great. Um, And I will definitely post that like in the notes and on the podcast, social media and everything. So people can, can definitely connect and get some more information. And it sounds like the more accurate information that you have uncovered through your journey. So that's, that's wonderful. I would definitely share that. Um, Now I am not personally a mother, but this, I mean, this is absolutely fascinating to me. So do you have an idea um, as you've been going through this, like how common is this sensitivity? Is it something that it's actually more common than people think? So um, you're helping tap into a lot more people than initially suspected. Is it relatively rare? I feel like in today's society, we hear so many issues with food and allergies um, and everything so processed. Is it, do you think it's increasing in terms of that sensitivity in, in the newborns? So the research is showing that the amount of infants that we are seeing that have some sort of food sensitivity or some sort of food intolerance has significantly increased over the last few decades. And that could be related to a number of different things to include what you mentioned as far as overly processed foods. Um, But there are a whole lot of different things that could potentially link us to what is causing this exponential increase. The interesting information right now is that we know that at least 15% of infants born in the United States have some sort of food intolerance. And that number is just those who have actually been diagnosed. The number is actually probably much higher up to and or over 25% of infants. Because a lot of times when parents come to the pediatrician, and I can say this for myself too, you go to the pediatrician, you say, you know, my baby cries all the time. I can't console her. I I don't know what to do. You know, I I haven't figured it out. And they just say, oh, you know, your baby is colicky. It's just natural. It's normal. It's okay that you're exhausted and that you never sleep and um, good luck. Go home. See you in a couple months. Um, When in actuality, it's very likely that that infant just has some sort of food intolerance, let's say potentially to the dairy protein. And if they have that food intolerance and they're getting that protein through the mother's milk, a simple elimination diet of that particular protein they're reacting to would completely clear up the colic, would clear up any rashes, any gastrointestinal problems. So while we know that the actual diagnosed percentage is about 15%, which is a huge number when you think of how many babies are born in the United States every year. You're talking about over 600,000 babies every year in the United States have a food intolerance. So at least 15% and potentially way higher than that could be affected by you know food sensitivities. And so that's why it's very important to get this information out there. Yeah, that's, that is a huge number. Wow. And up to like a quarter of the babies that are born, poor things. So you kind of mentioned, I think some of the watch outs for our parents, um, like the, what seems to be colic or a rash. Are there, are there other things that they can kind of hone in on or a combination of symptoms that they should be looking for? So the interesting thing with food sensitivities is that unfortunately it takes many different, um, 
symptoms. So some children may just be colicky. They may just cry. Um, and I have had several women who have approached me and just said, you know, I don't see a rash and I'm not seeing any um, diarrhea or anything, but oh my goodness, my baby won't quit crying. Please help me. Um, and I completely understand because that's what my daughter did up until the point we ended up in the hospital. She just cried incessantly. Um, and so it may just be as simple as that. And, and that's just a matter of discomfort and gastro distress. Um, so it may be just simple crying all the way up to anaphylactic shock. So depending on the allergy, if it's an IgE mediated or not, um, an IgE mediated response could lead up to an anaphylactic re reaction. So similar to what you and I would think of as a typical peanut allergy, um, that can happen in babies that are breastfed if the woman ingests peanuts and the baby is, has a severe allergic reaction to that protein. Um, so you have really the gamut of potential symptoms that can occur in the infant. Wow. This is, this sounds like it is very, very challenging. So I'm glad you're, you're taking an initiative to get this out there. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So this business, you said you've only, you've only been going for, was it a few months now? So you're just kind of starting up, ramping up? Yeah. So Free to Feed has only been in existence for a few months and we are moving into kind of the fundraising um, phase of things, which is exciting and super stressful. The goal for Free to Feed is to create a product or products that would allow mothers to determine if they have allergens in their breast milk prior to feeding. Oh, okay. So some kind of tests that they could do um, to kind of alert them ahead of time and then start that process of like purging or clearing out for those uh, for that next day. Right, exactly. So there would be a lot of different potential uses as far as um, you know, kind of a loose diagnosis of what it is our child is actually reacting to. Um, and then subsequently, you know, if you are able to pinpoint it and say, like, I know that my child is um, sensitive to dairy and soy. And then, you know, suddenly you find yourself out one day and you have to eat. Um, then you could test your milk afterwards to make sure that you did or did not end up with dairy or soy in your system. Um, instead of this, you know, one shot system that is being told to mothers, like, if you go and eat dairy right now, you have two whole weeks, you have to wait before you can feed your baby again. That's just simply not the case. And so um, free to feeds goal is to create a product that would empower women to be able to, you know, give themselves the knowledge that they need to move forward with breastfeeding, and then give themselves the peace of mind to breastfeed once they um, have decided that that's what they want to do. Yeah, no, that sounds like an excellent path forward. And I certainly wish you all the luck for the uh, fundraising and hope hope it's not too stressful. I think when word get, gets out there, there's going to be a lot of people interested in, in what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. <laughs> so definitely best of luck for that. Oh my goodness. Well, um, so you have your own business you're starting. And then I believe you said you work in the dairy industry. So there's, there's a lot you have going on, plus your own two beautiful children, right? Um, when you are not doing all of the science and trying to help all of these new mothers, what are you doing in your free time? How are you spending your free time? What's your stress release? How do you kind of unwind? What are, what are you doing outside of the science world? 
So um, I kind of have two basic um, fields that I have outside of the science world currently. Um, the first is that I'm actually in the Army National Guard. Um, so I joined the Army National Guard when I was 17 before graduating high school. And when I was 19, I deployed to Iraq for a year. So while I was there, you know, I, I kind of was faced with the harsh reality that women in other parts of the world don't have the same opportunities as I do in America. And when I returned home, I decided that I wanted to pursue an advanced degree in STEM. So being in the military helped me earn my bachelor's degree at Minot State University. And while there, that's where I really got engulfed in, you know, the STEM world. Uh, Dr. Heidi Super, a professor there, invited me to join her cancer research lab. And so under her guidance, you know, I gained respect and love for molecular biology and decided to pursue my PhD from, from her, um, you know, just incredible guidance and, and her incredible, you know, experience that she gave me in her lab, which was amazing. So then that's kind of one piece that's still a part of my life now. I'm still in the Army National Guard. I've been in for 14 years now. I just re-enlisted for, um, well, knock on wood here, hopefully my last six years. So I'll finish up my 20. Um, and so that's one thing that I do that's definitely outside of the STEM world um, is I go play Army at least once a month. And um, usually it's much more often than that. And then the other piece that is very important to me, and I, this might sound a tiny bit crazy, but definitely is how I unwind, is um, that I actually am highly involved with uh, the nonprofit veteran space. And so right now, for instance, I am the platoon leader for the Mission Continues uh, Boise First Platoon here in the Treasure Valley. So what that means is the Mission Continues is a nonprofit nationwide organization that has different platoons all across the United States. And each platoon has their own mission. And for us, the Treasure Valley's mission is youth education. And the goal of the mission continues is to provide an avenue for veterans to continue service. So basically to give them purpose after serving their country um, through community service projects. So as the platoon leader, I put on these large scale service projects and support projects um, on a regular basis here in the Treasure Valley where we have anywhere from 100 to, you know, 150 volunteers that will come out, um, do a giant service project at a school or at, you know, like the Salvation Army, another event like that, um, where we're specifically like going in, getting our hands dirty, um, bringing our families with, which is incredibly important to me. My daughter's since my youngest was, um, before even she was even born, I have pictures of me doing these service projects, um, what looked like a million months pregnant. Um, and <laughs> all the way through to today, my um, eight-month-old and my four-year-old almost comes to these service projects and they go run amok. Um, and that's what's, what really is, you know, at my heart. And um, it helps me to show my daughters what is really important, which is giving back. And it also allows me to be a part of the community that I really love, which is, um, you know, the veteran space and being around military members um, and those who have served because they're, they're really, um, you know, a different kind of cohort. And I really enjoy helping them and being the facilitator to have them help the community. 
That's terrific. So, well, thank you for your service, of course. And, um, oh my goodness, that's, that's awesome that you've been doing it for so long and, and you're approaching to the 20, 20 year mark. So thank you for all that you've done there. And that sounds really, really interesting. I know, um, my sister's very involved in team red, white, and blue, um, which I think it's, it sounds like it's a similar, um, function in terms of helping, veterans get involved in the community post-service. Um, so that's wonderful. And then do you, is there a website um, that you want to share? I'm sure like you guys could always use more help and more support, whether in it's veterans or community members or family members, somewhere where people can go to kind of find out more in their area. Absolutely. So you can go to missioncontinues.org and um, scroll down to join a platoon and that'll give you all kind of a map of all of the areas where there are current platoons that are active and running. And on there, it'll give you all the information for their upcoming events and how you can get involved. Awesome. And I'll, I'll definitely share that in the notes as well. Um, I think there's, there's plenty of people that would love to help out. And, and I think there's so many of those good uh, organizations out there and it's, it's hard to even know they exist (laughs) sometimes. So we'll make sure to get the word out there. And I love, I just, I just imagined like your little ones running around um, and having a great time as you guys are doing the community service project. So that's, that's wonderful. And it's nice that you have something you can do um, as a family too, that's benefiting others. Absolutely. So with with um, with all your work in the army and in um, I guess I'll call it professional life, uh, what has been one of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome? Um, and did you have any challenge moving from like military, going between military to civilian, military to civilian? Is that challenging for you? Yeah. So um, to address the first question, as far as kind of one of the biggest challenges that I've had to overcome, um, I would say that since I'm really just kind of starting in my career, um, so far my my career life has um, gone very well, but my student life was is really where I want to kind of hone in on as far as challenges. Um, in the military, I was lucky enough that the Army National Guard helped me pay for my bachelor's degree. But by the time you get to a higher level degree, you've kind of tapped out those resources. Um, they kind of tell you like, okay, you're, you're done. You're obnoxious. Um, we're not paying for any more. So that was really a challenge for me because I ran out of um, post 9-11 GI Bill, basically my first semester of my PhD. And I did not know how I was going to pay to continue going to school at that point, especially at, you know, University of South Florida. It's very expensive. And uh, just cost of living in Tampa, Florida is very expensive. So I started, you know, reaching out to the local, you know, veteran services at the school and um, the veteran services at University of South Florida are really incredible. And they recommended that I apply for the Pat Tillman Foundation scholarship. And um, so I did, even though it sounded just way too good to be true. It was this incredible foundation that you know, empowered veterans to get their degrees um, through, you know, the kind of remembrance of Pat Tillman. So I, you know, kind of humbly put my my name in the hat thinking there's no way they're going to pick me um, because thousands of veterans apply every year and they only take 60 scholars. 
And I was incredibly fortunate to be named a uh, Tillman Scholar in 2014. And they awarded me enough money to completely finish my PhD over the course of three more years, um, which was groundbreaking and uh, life-changing for me. If I hadn't received that scholarship, there's no way I would have been able to finish my PhD. I probably would have kind of scraped by with a couple more semester, maybe a semester more, and tried to get out with a master's degree. Um, so that was really a, a turning point for me in my career was, was getting this scholarship. And since then, the foundation has just been really this incredible foundation for me to springboard the rest of my career. Um, they're the first place that I went to to kind of uh, pitch my idea of free to feed. And um, everyone there was incredibly supportive. And all of the Tillman scholars, these other veterans and spouses who are um, going and earning degrees or have their degrees are doing incredible things across the country and across the world. Um, and they've all been so supportive and helpful in my dream. So that was, you know, a really big turning point for me where I would have potentially kind of fallen short and wouldn't have been able to go after my dreams. Um, and I was really grateful that I had them to back me up and help me get there. Um, as far as being able to transition back and forth, it's, it's really interesting because a lot of people talk about the pain that is, you know, transitioning from active duty to then becoming a civilian. Um, and not a lot of people talk about the transition of like a regular, you know, cyclic thing that you have to do where you have to transition every month. I have to, you know, put on my combat boots every month and go, play army is what I like to call it. Um, and then at the end of the weekend, I have to come home and, and be mom again and um, go back to my career and my job. And um, it's funny to go to work and hear, you know, a lot of the people that work um, in the lab that I run, they will come into work and maybe, you know, there's some scheduling issues or vacation relief and they'll say, oh man, this is, this is my, you know, seventh straight day working. I'm so tired. And Meanwhile, in my mind, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is like my 12th day, I think. I've lost track. I'm not sure. I think I've had like four Mondays so far this week. Um, so that's always kind of a funny thing that I like to giggle at the back of my head about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge to be able to juggle everything um, because, you know, the military always demands more than what you initially think that they will. And you have to be able to juggle that with what your civilian employer thinks that you're supposed to be doing for the military, which is, you know, the one week in a month, two weeks in the summer. And that's never actually the case. So it is it is a challenge to go back and forth and to kind of keep both sides happy, if you will. Yeah, that sounds like you um, you have a lot that you're managing a lab army life, um, and family life. So I definitely give you credit that that's a lot. Not a lot of people can do that. And I think it's an interesting point you brought up about, um, there does seem to be, I do hear more about, um, transitioning from service to civilian, but to your point, I don't hear a lot about that challenge where you're still serving the one weekend, quote unquote, one weekend a month, two weeks a year. Um, so I think I'm glad you brought that up. And I think for people that are listening that may have 
colleagues or employees that are doing that, it's a good um, kind of watch out or just an awareness to them that there is a little extra that you're dealing with. And, and I like your point about, you know, that's, that's what they advertise it as, but in reality, it's a little bit more than that. So (laughs) I think it's good to raise the awareness. So thank you for sharing that. That's, that's gotta be tough. (laughs) Um, so do you do any other activities, um, outside of those, anything else you do to unwind or any, uh, do you guys like to travel or do you do different activities as a family? What, what else do you Um, like to do? My husband and I are very active as far as, uh, making sure that we hit the gym. So him and I, that's kind of our us time, if you will. So we try, several times a week as much as possible. Um, we either attend CrossFit classes together or we go work out together, um, whatever fits our schedule best. And we really make a point to make sure that happens because that's a time when him and I can, you know, connect again without any little people um, and really, you know, enjoy each other's time and while still, you know, being physical and being active, um, which is really important to both of us. Um, so that's a big aspect of my life. And then otherwise, you know, I'm really enjoying being in Idaho right now. Um, we moved here because my folks live in the area and I really wanted to have that interaction where my daughters got to know their grandparents and get to spend time with their family. And so that's a Another huge aspect of our life is making sure that in the midst of all of the crazy, we slow down and make sure that they can enjoy their time with their grandparents, which is something that is new in the last couple of years for for me, which is really nice after being in Florida for five years. And I'm really enjoying it. That's great. And uh, I'm sure the little ones are enjoying it. I would imagine grandparents are spoiling them whenever they can. Yes. That's wonderful. So I actually, I think it's interesting. You're in Idaho and that's a state I have not had the opportunity to visit yet. Um, Do you have any recommendations if there's somebody listening and they're like, you know, I haven't been to Idaho. I want to go. Any, any recommendations on locations they should visit? Or I don't know if you and your husband are into beer. This is brains, boobs, and beer. If you guys know any good spots that you can give um, for people to check out. um the Treasure Valley is absolutely beautiful, and Idaho in general is a, a beautiful state. There's a lot to do outdoors, which is my favorite part. Um, there's tons of hiking, skiing, snowboarding. Um, there is just a plethora of outdoor things, and everyone is out and about, which I absolutely love. Um, as far as Boise specifically, which is the area that we're in, there are a ton of downtown little breweries and uh, that everyone just absolutely loves. So I would definitely recommend if you are ever in the Boise area to just go downtown. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's Boise is really nice in that um, it has all of the things to do as far as like a big city without actually being an enormous city like Tampa was. Um, so if you just go downtown, park, and just wander around, it is it really has that little downtown, small town feel, feel to it. And it's a lot of fun just to kind of see where you end up. The food downtown is incredible, and the breweries downtown is are really amazing too. 
Um, okay, well, I will also have to look up a couple of those, see if I can spot some, and, and then you can confirm those are the good spots, and I'll post those <laughs> post those in notes as well so people can check them out. Um, but it sounds like it's beautiful. I know like when I've seen photos, it looks beautiful, so I'm definitely going to have to make my way over there at some point, some point in the near future. Um, well, thank you, Trill. This has been very informative and I'm very excited. Maybe we can check in again later and see how it's going, um, how the fundraising is going, and you can kind of share the progress on what you're doing. Um, before we wrap up, is there any like one little snippet or one piece of advice that you could share with others, maybe especially women looking into um, some kind of STEM or STEM related career, some, some little nugget of, of wisdom you would like to share with Absolutely. them. So I think that, you know, overwhelmingly one of the, um, main themes of my path and my, my career and my life has been that I've been in areas where, you know, being a woman isn't traditional, right? Like it's, I, I'm not surrounded by this, you know, big cohort of all these other women. And um, so if I could leave kind of one nugget for where, um, other females who are listening to the podcast, it would be to bust into those areas. So um, between the Army, you know, the STEM environment, my PhD in molecular biology, and even, you know, like the veteran nonprofit space, don't be afraid to be the woman who is leading the charge. Um, even if you're by yourself, you should bust into it and then bring other women with you. That's great. Yeah. Kind of, kind of break through the wall, break through the barriers and, and be the one that changes things. I love it. Well, Trill, thank you so much for sharing. Um, a lot of this was like, I know very personal and it's great to see, um, what you're doing or, you know, what you're trying to do, how you're trying to help others based on your personal experience. And I think that's very valuable. And I'm, I'm very excited to hear more as, as things progress. So definitely we'll have to touch base again. And uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. And like I said, I'll share all the information Trill was given us um, in the notes. So you can definitely connect, whether it's through veterans, um, community service, through her project, whatever it is, um, you will have all the information. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time with another interview and another exciting individual.